to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local crafters to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to the market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Marketed Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we are proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support a robust regional food system. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. (laughs) That's a mouthful. I know. Good job, Sarah. I don't uh, even think that really describes everything that Marketed Choice does. <laughs> I know, especially right now, we're so thankful for all of them. Welcome, yeah. everybody, to A Meaningful Marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of women entrepreneurs in food. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Thanks, everybody, for joining us live today. Uh, we're honoring our social distancing still, so we're calling in for the show, and guests are joining us by phone, but we think it's an important time for us to hear stories of hope and um, bring some good joy to all of our food friends out there. Uh, for food news today, we want to thank all of our local grocery stores and grocery store workers who are keeping people fed. Uh, we want to thank you, Market of Choice, New Seasons, Green Zebra, Zoo Pans, Bread and Roses. Those are um, our local stores who are open right now. But also, a lot of them are doing online delivery, so you can um, check those out. But we just wanted to thank everybody for keeping all of us fed. And the farmers markets are still happening too. Everyone's kind of adjusting how they're doing it. The Beaverton Farmers Market is going on tomorrow and also Portland State University Farmers Market. So you can still go um, get your food. They just have some different safety precautions going on. So check that out and go support your local people, please. Um, Sarah, do you have any food news that you have this week? Uh, no, but I want to talk about those steam buns that you guys made at your house over Easter. (laughs) Let's talk about the steam buns. Yeah, so we, um, Dirk made our Easter dinner. You know, we usually have our family over and we just um, had a very small gathering this time around, just my um, husband and daughter. And Dirk made some steam buns and he, we ordered some ham from Elephant's deli and they delivered it just like sliced ham and then um he chopped it up really small and put it inside of the steam bun with cheese and the steam bun recipe we used is um from a local chef it was from um joanna wares and it was when she had small wares and it was posted on um I think it was Bon Appetit, but you can just Google it and find it. But that was the recipe. And then we did another version with our barbecue sauce and some chicken in there. And it was so good mm. and really easy. So make I bet you did buns, everybody. I bet you had no leftovers. <laughs> no, I think I ate like four. <laughs> That's great. I totally want to try doing that. Yeah, it was really fun. You were telling me um, while we were um, chatting before we went live about your new workout routine. Do you want to tell our listeners about it? Oh, wow. My cousin Mickey is a, uh, Mickey, um, is a coach at Orange Theory, and she just happened to post on her Instagram yesterday that you could join live. So Orange Theory Wilsonville, you follow them at noon every day. They have a 30-minute workout. And I was telling Sarah that I need to do it because my butt is jam. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that's happened to me being home is like I look at myself like in in different light. Like I, 
I get up usually in the morning when it's really dark, so I don't really see myself. And now I'm like home all day and I see myself more frequently. And I'm like, you know what? It's time to get myself in shape. <laughs> well, good job doing it. It's, and it's it's fun that you're supporting your cousin too. When did you say her classes are? So people can be um, Orange Theory Wilsonville on Instagram is live at noon every day. And and when is hers on Thursdays? Uh, she's Thursday, and then oh, sorry, I shouldn't say every day at noon because Saturday and Sunday is at nine a.m. Um, so at noon on Monday through Friday, you can just go on Instagram, follow them, and do the workout. And she's there on Thursday and Saturday morning. That's so cool. And our yeah. listeners can't see this, but um, you now have your office turned into quite a science lab back there. I I'll post a picture, but. Um, Sarah has moved her work home, and so it really does look like a version of her lab at the Food and Innovation Center right behind her. What yeah. are all those things in there? I can't well, it has it organized by project, and so that shelf you can see right behind me is going to be cookies. Oh, cool. For some very special ice cream sandwiches that I'm helping develop. Awesome. And then I have uh, I have some wild rice that some farmers down in the valley sent me. I got to cook up. Um, what else do I got over there? Uh, I'm actually working on some other interesting things that I can't disclose. Oh, yeah. All secrets until they come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool. I like that you're um, still helping people out and doing your work from home and you have your little lab now. Yeah, you know, it really gave me peace of mind. I didn't know how it, how I was feeling until we got organized. I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. So yeah. because I had everything just like piled in boxes and it was completely in disarray. It was like mayhem visited. And I I think it was stressing me out and I didn't even know it. Yeah. Well, you. So it now, looks like you're all settled in. It looks good. It's all in order. I feel like I'm being orderly. I know. I think that's good advice to give people out there, too, is that everyone's just kind of like waiting for what to happen. But um, just settle into where you are now and make yourself comfortable. And, you know, you if you have to get work done at home, it's nice to have a little designated space. Yeah, I totally went through all my cupboards and threw away, like, expired food. I had some from 2017. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, um, you know, Michael and I went through the cupboards in the garage because I have cupboards out there. And we had a long discussion about when is what you have going to be enough. Oh, Yeah. And so one of the things that really hit home for me this week was that, you know, I have a lot of spots to put things and instead of like managing it and getting rid of stuff when I don't need it, I just like keep wanting more spots to put stuff. So, yeah, so, yeah <laughs> you need more places. Our garbage <laughs> cans have been so full the last couple of weeks, um, getting rid of stuff. And we have a bunch of stuff saved up for yard sales. So, yeah, we're really going through the house and cleaning stuff up. Getting organized. Mm -hmm. uh, well, our guest that is patiently on the other line here is one of the people that I know that is very organized. <laughs> I know. She's so organized. <laughs> so I am super excited to introduce our guest today. We have our friend Jamie Curl with us on the phone. Hi, Jamie. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hi, and Jamie. Jamie, you're our first guest to join us by Zoom. Usually only Sarah and I can see each other. This is a whole new um, world, but it's so good to see your face. <laughs> it is <laughs> great. Like I said before, it's nice to see uh, people that I don't live with. <laughs> it always brings us some some joy i guess i i haven't you said you've been doing a lot of zoom calls i haven't done very many just since we started doing this mm. but i kind of love it and kind of don't love it it just oh. <laughs> yeah it's a really it's an interesting thing that a lot of the zoom calls that i'm on because you know you can develop these wacky backgrounds so you can't oh, yeah. see where you're actually sitting and so you know, you can turn yourself into a potato and you can do the entire Zoom call as a potato. So I've oh, been I on do. some pretty funny ones. 
Yeah, I when I I had one <laughs> phone with my brother, and he he um it was my parents' anniversary, and so he making his face be on my mom's body, like from their wedding photo. <laughs> <laughs> I love so that was it. a pretty good one. And then I would just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It was so good. So uh, Jamie Curl, I didn't do a very good job of introducing her because I knew her, but Jamie is a wonderful award-winning author. She has two books. Uh, One is Candy is Magic. The other one is Baking Gold. Uh, And she also has had this journey of food entrepreneurship. So so we thought she would be a really great guest to have on for all of our listeners. And so, Jamie, what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about your business or the book? Oh, you decide. I want to start at the beginning. Like, how did you end up? Because you weren't, you, I'm sure you always loved food, but you didn't always work in food, did you? Well, I guess, yes, if you consider my first jobs, you know, I got my first job when I was, this is ages ago, and it was in Ohio, so I think there weren't we weren't really sticking to logs back then, but I got my first job this summer that I turned 12 and I worked in ice cream and then I had an ice cream shop and I had jobs working in some food place or another all the way up until I went to college. And then at school, you know, I studied English and theater and um, I would bake at home and then I would take what I baked to the theater building and sell it between rehearsals. Oh. <laughs> and then been an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, and then, you know, I had from there I, you know, lived in Ohio, went to Ohio University and a good friend of mine who owns a store in Portland called Noun, she and I lived in Ohio together and when we were trying to decide what to do after school, we read an article in the paper that said Portland, Oregon was a city raised on coffee, beer, and books. And we thought that is sounds great. Let's go to Portland. <laughs> and so we came out to Portland and that was sort of the first time that I wasn't doing something in food, whether I was making it or selling it. And I worked, my first jobs were all, my first jobs in Portland were all in marketing, which is a great combination of, you know, having that food, love of food, and then also understanding what it would take to kind of try to sell it. So uh, little by little, I worked to get food back into my life and started making desserts and wedding cakes on the side. So I was working at that point at the Oregon State Bar in the communications department, kind of as the community outreach, community building marketing person. And I was making cakes on the side. And then it was kind of in there that... I loved that baking side of things so much that I thought, well, maybe I'll try to open a spot, a bakery. So I looked on Craigslist and I found a space up in Northwest Portland and it was a sublease from a restaurant that was moving out. And so I took over, you know, I got, I took over the lease from them and we had to, we cleaned that place up and then, you know, within a couple months opened. So I think I decided in, maybe August that I would open a bakery and then we opened in November of the same That's year. Awesome. I have <laughs> pictures so quick. I have pictures of Amy, our daughter, standing in front of St. Cupcake over there with her all her girlfriends from oh, middle I school. It. I love <laughs> it. Cupcakes. I love it. And and so yeah, that was a good it was an interesting, a really interesting time of not being totally prepared to open a place where people were going to come in. And I was doing all the baking myself. I didn't hire a staff. My friend Stephanie, the same person I moved to Portland with, worked the counter for me. And we just did what we could every day to make stuff people might want to buy. And then (laughs) just built it slowly from there. And uh, I hired my first employee, I think, five or six months into it. So prior to that, I was working I was working a lot. There were times when I would just sleep there because it was easier than going home. And and it was, you know, 18 to 20 hour days, a lot of the time to get it going. And I just did the work. And I think I appreciate, I am glad that we did it that way because it not having any money 
taught me to appreciate and pay attention to where money was going, which is, I think, one of the biggest lessons as a small business owner that you can ever know is that the most important thing is obviously the money. And I I don't like math and I'm not that I don't want to have to worry about about money. And I think that's something that is one of my biggest lessons in doing any of the stuff between St. Cupcake and Quinn is that the money is always the most important part of it. Just not, you know, how much money you make, but where the money is going, how much things cost, how much you're paying for things and then where your money is going. Gives me like a panic attack, but it also is the most important thing. I think one of the, it's one of those things where you have to kind of deal with what you're afraid of first, so that you turn what you're afraid of into something you're not anymore. And that yeah, cute, yeah, big struggle, big struggle. Yeah. So then, St. Cupcake grew and grew, and we, you know, eventually hired people to work and help, and expanded our menu and moved into a bigger space and opened another location. And then I think. The, I mean, at one point, at the big, at the time that we were the biggest operating, we had just under 40 employees working the counter, working espresso, baking. And then I thought, well, this is all kind of moving along pretty well. Maybe I should try to start making candy. And I sort of taught myself how to do that using the ingredients that we had around the bakery. So it wasn't, I didn't turn to what would typically be in candy. I just turned to what I knew, which was bakery ingredients and started working Mm -hmm. on a line of things to sell. And we sold that stuff at the counter and people loved it. And then I thought, well, again, I'll try to do something I have no idea how to do and make a candy brand and open a candy shop. And I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing, because it was uh, the way that we came up with the candy wasn't typical. So I hired people and taught them how to do it the way that I had kind of come up with to do it and had a team of candy makers who were making things. And then, you know, it was developing all the lines of business. Like we're going to do, we have a website and we'll do e-commerce and we're going to have wholesale and we'll sell to uh, stores around the country. And then we'll also have a shop in Portland and sell. So it's all these sort of learning blocks. Like once you have an idea, then I just did what I could to figure out how to do it kind of the way that worked for me, which I still, you know, wouldn't go back and look at any of it to see if it was the right way or the wrong way. I just did what worked, <laughs> what worked at the time to kind of make it happen. Um, and then Quinn, uh, we had a store in Portland and obviously uh, e-commerce and stores around the country carrying Quinn. And I wrote a book called Candy is Magic, which is basically a tells you how I figured out how to make candy with real ingredients. And then from there, uh, plugged along, had the stores, and then I decided, well, St. Cupcake is um, fun, (laughs) but it's not what I want to be doing. So I decided to close it. And this this was the decision that um, at the time felt like the right thing to do. I was... uh, at that point, likely going to get a divorce. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted my life to be like. It was doing St. Cupcake and Quinn simultaneously too much. And what should I do? And it was real human problem. And I think that that's one of the things about my journey in food is that I think so much of small business ownership and entrepreneurship, there's a an element of ego involved in it. And I I I came to the realization at this point that it was almost to the point of dangerous that my ego was so not involved because I would make decisions that (laughs) were maybe not the best for me and definitely not the best for the people who had, you know, trusted me to employ them. And I just thought I'm going to close this place because I don't, I don't, I don't care to keep it going. I, and it was a really weird and it didn't never dawned on me that someone would want to buy it because I was, it was took so much work. So I closed Think Cupcake, and then six months later, of course, someone says, why did you close it? I want to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I sold it after it had been closed for quite a long time, and then thankfully was able to bring staff back who knew how to run things. Our kitchen manager came back to help the new owners, and they were able to reopen, and, you know, Think Cupcake still exists because, because I sold it. 
I don't think Dude. I did it the right way, but I did. But I did, <laughs> but I did reopen. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that is an important thing to bring up because we we don't always know what the right way is, especially if yeah. you've never done it before. So you yeah. had opened a business and then opened another business, but you'd never closed a business. And so right. how do you know how to do that? You know, right. there's not, yeah. I don't think there's like, dialogue about that a lot and sometimes it is like you you wanted to move on to a new chapter of your life but and of course you wanted to leave that behind so why you it doesn't enter your mind that somebody would want to take it over you know because you Uh, want it to go (laughs) (laughs) right and it didn't and it wasn't that I didn't love it or appreciate it and I I still love I still love bakery life and I still actually miss those early mornings and that kind of real manual labor. I still think about it because I do a lot of office work now and I, I, I like to stand up while I'm working now. And I think it all kind of is because of that bakery work. So it's not that I didn't love it and appreciate it. It just didn't fit where I was in my life. And, you know, those types of decisions, a, a huge part of it is what people say to you about, what you're doing and it's like I don't understand how you could do that it's your whole life and people say that to you and you have to think is it my whole life is that (laughs) is this my whole life and those those types of back and forth and conversations with myself and with others it was a a time of a lot of noise as they say and I just had to kind of clear through it and figure out figure out what I wanted to do do people still think that you own St. Cupcake? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. People think I do a lot of things that I don't do, which is hilarious. <laughs> what are <laughs> I think some it's also because things? I don't, I don't really put, I don't really put it. I mean, there are lots of people who think that Quinn is still open and we'll get to that story in a second. But um, I think most people think I still do St. Cupcake and that Quinn still exists, that they just haven't ordered any of it in a, in a while or haven't seen it somewhere. Yeah. 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 My my daughter's trying to sneak in on my call. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love Between pets and kids. Oh, hi. I don't know if you guys can see, but she's got a sweet little unicorn horn on. <laughs> All right, but I think I, I, should go upstairs. I got to finish what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> so Jamie, can you tell yes. us about Quinn? Because that yeah. I remember visiting you over off of Burnside there in yeah. the alley. And you gave me some of your wonderful lollipops. Yep. And I was completely enamored that you had this tiny, tiny little shop where you were able to sell your delightful candies. And I think the smaller the footprint, the more money you can make, right? Because you have less rent to pay. Less rent to pay. I mean, in our location there at Union Way, it was definitely a premium because of the location and because... I think at that point, retail in Portland, they were really trying to make a mark in retail. So, um, but it was having a small shop like that where you only have to have one person working at a time, which is the sort of key to it, was, was it made it, it made it work for sure. Um, and having, you know, a candy shop where we, we sold chocolate that we did not make, but everything else we made. So it's sort of a one brand store, which is super yeah. easy to have something very small that way yeah and that was one of those decisions where we figured out that uh they were going to do that union way project and that it was going to be this cool sort of hallway that connected you know from you know the ace hotel over to powell's and all this stuff so i definitely bought into the to the hype around that and thought that it would be the best you know an awesome location and then it turned out they had essentially a closet-sized space in there (laughs) so so we were um the first business to open in Union Way, we opened when there was still construction going on. And it just, it, you know, we were there for five years. That's a long time. It was. And then you had a shop over on Belmont or somewhere on we the We do, Southeast. yeah. Uh, we <laughs> did. And there's still a St. Cupcake in there now. And it is a shared space with Now, which is my friend who I moved to Portland with. We, she opened a retail store over there. And we opened a little St. Cupcake counter it used to be in the back of the store. Now it's in the front of the store. And then when Quinn was going, we sold we sold the candy there too. That's wonderful. And one of the things I remember was that you had this machine that you bought that was going to wrap all of your candy. Yep. And I think about that machine a lot. And I'm wondering, like, what happened to the machine? Do you have it in your garage? Well, the machine. <laughs> this is a. This is one of my. This is a good 
this is a good story with a good lesson. Uh, <laughs> when we were in uh, the space that you visited, that was in that yeah. sort of warehousey space, we yeah. um, there were lots of issues with that space. And one of the big things about candy is uh, um, temperature control because mm-hmm. you can't have, on the days that you get super hot in Portland in the summer, you can't really store candy in a unair-conditioned place when it's 90 yeah. degrees outside. So yeah. we had planned to move to a location that was temperature controlled, that had a sort of a storage and warehousing space that we could keep candy in that would be temperature controlled. And during the move, uh, the, the candy wrapper, which wrapped all of our square pieces of candy, you kind of line them up in this little like uh, wheel, spot by spot, and then it fed through this basically wrapper that cut you would put a big roll of cellophane on it and it could, it would cut the wrapper and twist it shut and then sort of push it down the chute and then it would be wrapped, which prior to that, we had been wrapping everything, cutting and wrapping every piece of candy manual, like with people. So it was a, it was a, as a game changer, as they say. And then we had this move planned and I was in Ohio on my annual summertime trip to my homeland. And I got a call that the candy wrapper had fallen of the lift of the moving truck. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was a real, a real problem. And so, of course, it 100% was not, not working. And definitely at that point, um, (laughs) became an anchor instead of was a was a real problem and that was that's a you know a piece of equipment that that I mean another thing about starting businesses for me is that I obviously started really scrappy and didn't start a candy company and have my first thought be I'm going to go out and buy all of this sort of fancy equipment to make candy with I'm I was just like let's figure out what we can do with some lollipop sticks and some human hands and not you know the rest of it we'll just we'll just figure out later or as we make money we can add pieces of equipment into that and that was the first piece of equipment that was really you know could have would have made things very very different for how for how we were working so we bought that machine from a company that's in new york in the bronx and they basically are like well there's maybe a guy out at the coast who oh. works on saltwater taffy machines who could come and fix it for you. Mm-hmm. Or you can have, you know, pay the thousands of dollars to freight it back to the Bronx and have it rebuilt. Oh. Yeah. So they ended up selling it to someone who basically refurbishes machines and resells them. That was in Nevada, not New York. So that's a t- that's that's the story of my candy machine, the candy wrapper. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid. Actually, I'm afraid of machines because this one time when I was working in industry, I thought I could spec out a machine to shred cheese, oh, and I yeah. convinced the company to buy this machine, and it freaking never worked. And it was like I don't know, twenty five thousand dollars. That's yeah. what I mean. And this machine was you know thirty thousand, and mm-hmm. it hardly ever worked right. It was yeah. constant. You had to constantly stand there and, you know, it was like, well, the candy has to be almost frozen solid, like probably mm-hmm. how it is to shred cheese. It has to be yeah. something that's super, super solid so that it doesn't yes. get stuck. And yeah. if and if you don't, it, essentially, we needed to have an employee on staff who was a mechanic who knew yeah. the ins and outs and like the weirdnesses of that machine, which yeah. I think. Back in the day, that probably existed in machine shops, yeah. So I think that's probably really hard for, um, you know, any small business. As When you first start, usually you're the only person doing everything. And then you add people. And then those people sometimes aren't enough. And then you have to move to these other ways of doing it. And sometimes it's it, it just makes things more complicated instead of just you yeah. making something. You oh, know? for yeah. sure. And then it, it, that it takes the joy like, away. Right. And yeah. at that point, it, thought it was, you know, it was just so much easier to just have people do this rather than to rely on this machine. Yeah. Because by the time we figured out a problem, we could have wrapped that whole batch of candy by hand. So, with, uh, you know, figuring out a problem with the machine. So, yeah, I it was uh, it was, you know, and since then, 
I have, I do some consulting and I have specced out machines for other people. And I always think, you know, sort of like you, Sarah, like there are some real drawbacks to doing, <laughs> to doing this all by machine, unless you are, unless the candy is made specifically to be able to go through the machine, which, which, yeah. you know, the stuff we were making at Quinn wasn't, wasn't made to do that. Yeah. yeah so, yep. We are going to take a quick commercial break and then I want to come back and talk about your wonderful new book because I've made some things. Ooh, yeah. Okay, let's, can't wait. Let's wait. take a quick break and we'll be back. Okay. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. Sarah, your voice sounds so sultry in that commercial. I've never heard it before. <laughs> Maybe you were like playing it, it slow. <laughs> hey, have you ever noticed on that iPod app for um, podcasts that you can play at like app speed, one and a half speed or double speed? No, I've yeah. never noticed. Do you do that? Yeah. So you can, <laughs> if you want to listen to something in 10 minutes, that's 20 minutes long. You can do double speed and they talk super fast. Oh, yeah. you can really get a lot done that way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of podcasting. Yeah, you can really cram it all in. So, yeah. Jamie, I want to talk about your new book because okay. I have it and I love it. It's so good. So, um, Jamie's newest book is called Baking Gold. It's so pretty. It's so, it's so beautiful. And one thing that I wanted to compliment you on, Jamie, is that no matter what business you do, you are really in charge of all of the design and the innovation of it and all of this stuff. And everything you do is so creative and so wonderful and so fun. And this book fits perfectly into that. So nice job. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much for noticing. Yeah, I have been so lucky to be in control of sort of my own creative destiny as it as it were and I think I am so thankful like with Candy's Magic that first book my publisher just let me do what fit and what I wanted and then the same thing with this with the new book Baking Gold and I think with Baking Gold we took the color and creativity to a whole new level and applied it to something that is usually sort of rustic and you have a cookie on a wooden board or something on marble and we just sort of blew that typical baking book totally away with color and you know interesting little I know you know like probably notice the paper projects that are in there where we made you know, little vanilla bottles out of paper and a measuring cup filled with water, but it's paper and there's a big scoop and a pile of flour. The scoop itself is made out of paper. So we did just some really super fun stuff. And I worked with a prop stylist named um, Andrea Greco, who's in New York. And she she made all of that stuff out of paper while we were on the shoot for the book. And so she just had a big area of the studio that we were in and she was just going crazy making stuff out of paper, which I love. And then yeah, we just, it, it has been the most fun and I just feel so lucky to have been able to take what's in my mind and make it into a book. Yeah, it's Well, it, it turned out really great. And I think that I liken in it to you call yourself a recovering bakery owner because, <laughs> because I think all of the things that you have done are really important for what you do now. So sometimes people just have an idea. They're like, oh, I'm going to start a business. And especially when they're just like, you know, maybe haven't had a lot of experience with other things, but I think all of your marketing background and then, you know, bakery ownership and all of that really comes out in your books. And so I think that it's important to do a lot of different things as you're creating something because it all can lead to this beautiful, wonderful thing. Yes. And I think that that is good advice for other people too, is that it's okay if you don't have direct experience in that thing you want to do next, because everything that you've done in your life leading up to it is the experience that you either need or that you'll be, because you have that experience, you know how to go out and figure out, you know, how to either meet people or find the resources or whatever it is to do what you want to do next. Yeah. I, um, I love all the paper cutouts. Was that your idea or is that something that she specialized in? 
she um andrea is like a uh incredible pro crafter i would say and <laughs> when we were doing the sort of vision board for the book or like putting together mood boards of how we wanted it to look i kept coming back to paper collage there's this um, collage artist named Becky Orpin, and she uh, is in Australia, and she just makes the most incredible art. And a lot of the times it's just paper, and she she just makes these collages that just speak to me. And I mean, every my whole body tingles when I see her work. I just love it so much. And so her images kept coming up on these vision boards. And then slowly but surely, we got to the point where I knew that at the heart of the book, we would want some sort of paper, paper in it. And the, the, and it just sort of came about where, what if we turned a lot of the ingredients in the book into paper and it just sort of morphed into it from there. And then, you know, I said, yeah, great. Okay. Paper ingredients. And then she went and did all of it. It was all oh. every single design and how to do it and all that stuff. Well, I really like it. It's really fun. I think whenever you come up with um, your own ideas, like when you have the opportunity to be, free with what you have you come up with these amazing things like i always loved your um advent calendar that you did for quinn oh, yeah. and i remember you designing some cupcake boxes when you had saint cupcake like you you kind of have always been working in paper in these cool ways which is really neat i love design and i love i love those those projects that are yeah, I just, I, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love it. It really, I think that those types of things, and I think that it's same with like creating a baked good and maybe a candy too, is that you can take something that's the sort of flat thing or nothing and then turn it, turn it into something, which I love. Can I would tell that's maybe your specialty is turning nothing into something really good. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us about your recipe testing and how you do that for your, um, publications like do you give the recipes to other people to try out do you repeat yeah, yourself or yeah. how did you do that um for baking gold as an example you know the concept of that book is that you basically have a handful of recipes that you can turn into a bunch more stuff and so I took my normal ideas for recipes and then thought what's the one component of this that I can turn into sort of a product that I can help that I can use to make. So like, for example, there's a mix in the book that's basically just flour, baking soda and salt. But you can use that to make every cookie in the book and you can use it to make all the brownies in the book. So I thought if I could come up with this product to use, then sort of what happens. So those in baking gold, I figured out those recipes first and then tested them myself. And then I have a neighbor who is a great baker and she made all of the recipes that I would send her way. And we just sort of just sort of built it like that. And, you know, a publisher, usually in a contract, and Sarah, you have a book, so this may have been the same for you. They stipulate that you have to have tested the recipes beyond yourself, you know, and that's the thing about testing recipes is that having someone else make it helps you so much because if you're someone who's super familiar familiar with the recipe, there are steps that you don't see needing to explain and that someone who's making it for the first time might want it explained a little bit better. And I just, I love that collaboration and figuring things out that way for sure. It just helps, yeah. helps for it, a normal person to be able to make stuff. It's such yeah. an important part because especially if you, if you are skilled at it, like you were a baker, you know, I did a lot of canning. It's like, you know, all of the things in your head. And so then when you test it, the recipe yourself, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. It's perfect. Yeah. And then you send it out into the world and then, and then what comes back, you're like, Ugh. because it's all back to you. Like I didn't, I didn't do a good job of describing that to someone else. Yeah. Like I knew what I wanted to have happen, but I need to look at it. This is how someone's brain interpreted it. I need to look at my describing and change it. <laughs> yeah. And especially for people who are picking up a book because they want to learn or are new to something and that, and then they don't have, they're not coming to it with that base knowledge that a normal baker or a normal person who knows how to can would come to it. And so I think putting yourself in the shoes of someone who's never done it before, especially for baking gold, because it's meant to be a book that works for beginners, but but gives people who are seasoned bakers new ideas, you know, that sort of combination of things. But I think that my, in my heart, I'm always kind of speaking to somebody who's never done it before, just because I think it's so fun and it's great to get people 
to get people excited about baking. Well, stuff. I think you did a really good job because I never bake anything. This I I haven't made a cake since maybe I was 20 and it came from a box. Like I just it's not I I just don't really do it. And I made the cake in your book, the sour cream chocolate cake that has coffee in it. And it was the best cake I've ever had in my life, first of all. <laughs> it, was oh, very, it was very easy. And because your book is so beautiful, my daughter looked through it. And of course, she wanted to make everything that had sprinkles because yes. <laughs> you have a lot of sprinkles in there and your sprinkles yes. are beautiful. And she was like, yep, I want to make this and I want to make this and I want to make this. And so we made the cake and I let her decorate it however she wanted, which she wanted to make it a sunshine cake. So she did all orange and yellow sprinkles and it was beautiful and wonderful and fun and I just wanted to just thank you for that recipe because it was great (laughs) oh I'm so glad I'm so glad and that is that is one of my favorite recipes in the book too and I just love it because it's a cake recipe you don't need a mixer to make it you could you know use a mixer to make the buttercream for it but I just love that it is sort of cake but it's not what people who are new to cake are expecting because I think some people get really bogged down by the worry of baking the cake for whatever reason and I just aimed to make something so easy that essentially you just put stuff in a bowl stir it up and bake it yeah you did it if you had to choose just a couple tools for your kitchen what would they be like do you have like a recommendation a scale somebody a scale and an oven thermometer (laughs) (laughs) those two things because usually I think that every problem that people have come to me with where a recipe doesn't turn out it's because they use volume measurements or it's because their oven is either too hot or too cold yeah I think it just helps with troubleshooting for sure but in terms of things that make things easy I, I would still choose a scale and then um I do love a mixer because it just opens up the things that you can make, especially now that mixers have all those crazy attachments. You know, you can you have like a huge mixer. Yeah. Is that the only mixer you have? <laughs> no. You must no, have we have that. um I have a two two regular KitchenAids and then we have a the twenty quart mixer that's just in my kitchen. <laughs> That's like a dream mixer. Oh my gosh. I could it's make amazing. so many cookies. It's it's amazing for Christmas time for sure. When you're when I I um like I make a ton we make a ton of decorated sugar cookies at Christmas time and I just love that you can, you know, and then you just never know what you want to put in a 20 quart mixer. You mix anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been to one of your cookie decorating parties and I know how many cookies you make at Christmas. Yes, party. and that's that's, that's what it's for. That's good. Yes. And did you I love um I was able to incorporate I love uh, yeah, at Christmas time I like to invite people over and I make all the dough and I cut everything out and I pre-bake all the cookies, hundreds and hundreds of them. And then I make uh, or dye tons and tons of sprinkles and make a bunch of buttercream and then just go crazy. It's my favorite day of the year. Every year. I love it so much. And then I was able to put a sort of how to in baking gold and how to do your own, which was my, one of my favorite parts of it. Yeah, I really like cool. that you you do the baking first before people come over. So like when your guests show up, they just get to have fun and decorate. They don't have yep. to, you know, it's really nice, I have to say. <laughs> it's a great way That's to have cool. a cookie party. And it's again, for kids especially who aren't necessarily patient to wait for something to, to roll down, cut it out and bake yeah. it and then let it cool and then decorate it. So they just walk into a room where there's just stacks and stacks of cookies. I just love it. I just love it. It makes it really, really fun. Jamie, if you had to pick a celebrity to represent what you do, who would it be? Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Whoa, silence. This is a really interesting question. Um, just someone who I would want to be me or who I would want to be or someone. I mean, anybody that you relate to, or maybe somebody who you feel could be a good representation of you, or maybe could be a spokesperson for you. Okay. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I have a a tie in this category. I would choose, I would choose Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live, or I would choose A.D. Bryant from Saturday Night Live. Between the two of them. Between the two of them, I think we could do a good job of being me. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that's a hard question. <clears throat> a lot it of is. A lot of times we're um, talking to people, you know, who have a product. And so it would be like somebody to represent them. But for you, it's a little trickier because you're like choosing someone to represent you because your books are just like an extension of you. So it's a little trickier. <laughs> well, you could write, start writing a movie about yourself. Oh, well, that would be so fun. I, li I do. I do like to write. I don't know if anybody would want to go to that movie. I do like to write. And I keep thinking about what should be next. And, you know, obviously the world is like so crazy right now. So I think to even think about putting another book out or trying to figure it out is crazy. But I, I, I keep coming back to the idea of savory baking. So all Ooh. kinds of baking, but yeah, that's not sweet. And so I feel like that might be what what I work on next in terms of books. That sounds yeah. nice. I do. I, I would love to do a kid's version of baking gold because I think it could be so outrageously fun and so cute. Uh, but word on the street is that nobody's buying books for kids. Mm. <laughs> well, well we're books, we're buying books, books for kids, for, right? And They're I think and it's they say that if you're not like milk street or like some major brand like master chef junior or whatever that you can't get a can't get a book deal for a, a food book for kids well uh, what i know about you is that when not people one. tell you something you yeah. usually d ignore it and just do what you want to do so <laughs> i think so we'll probably see a kid's book <laughs> well what if you did was, like uh, uh comic books or like and that's what I thought was maybe I'll just do a zine or maybe. And then so then I thought then I called a uh, uh, food stylist and prop stylist that I know and was like, what if we put together recipes for kids and just started shopping it to magazines so that we could use that publication as sort of proof that there would be support for a kids book. So I'm kind of. Well, because in, a lot of parents now. are stuck right now trying to figure out what am I going to do for science? Yep. Because their kids are at home and they need to do science. <sighs> Yep. And so oh, baking is science. Yeah, it is. And that, 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 I mean, you know, I, I just really hope this doesn't go on long enough to where we have to resort <laughs> to cakes as a science stuff. But I have, you know, it's so tough. I, it's so, so hard and so many people so out of their element in terms of educating a child. It just is, you know, mind boggling. You love your kids. But you also love that they get to go to school every day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to be a parent and a teacher yep. and all, all and of it. And to try it's to keep tough. up the work you're trying to do. Like if you were able to somehow stay or, you know, hold on to some of your work or, you know, at least still function in your workplace. But then to layer on top of it, even just the scheduling of the of doing, you know, remote learning. It just it's so much. And I think. There's so many people doing so many things right now that are outside of their usual that it's mind boggling. I mean, good talk. That's endlessly. where innovation happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's what I keep thinking is, you know, you read all these things about um, that now, like, okay, during the plague, Shakespeare wrote King Lear and that, you know, all these big things have come out of time. Some people have been, and I think I don't want to give that device that advice because I feel like if all you can do is get up and start a load of laundry and like make sure your kid does math, then great. Don't focus on trying to write King Lear. But if you feel <laughs> if you feel particularly moved to do something super creative and to like figure out your next thing, then by all means do it. But I think there's a lot of pressure on like what you should do during this time. And I think if you survive it, you did it. Yeah, I think that's you did it. Washed your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie, you mentioned we only have a couple minutes left, but you mentioned doing some consulting for people. Is that oh, yeah. um, is that something that you know we have a lot of food entrepreneur listeners that are new in business, and if somebody wanted to hire you as a consultant, how would they do that? Would they go to your website or? Sure, jamiecurl.com and you know, uh, J Jamie with no E. Uh, yes, and I, you know, you can contact me through my site. It's That's the easiest way to do it for sure. I mean, you can send me a message on Instagram too, which is just, works just as well. And I, yes, I have been helping everything from product development to sort of like the operation side of things, like how to get something, something going. Yeah. And I, I love to, I, I love to help people. And I think that that's the thing in my switch from 
doing things for myself to then sort of going and working for other people. Having a job, quote unquote, was something I fantasized about the entire time that I worked for myself. I just kept thinking it would be so much easier if I just had a job. And then I say, I still think that all the time. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, and now that I do work for other people, I actually have found that I put way more pressure on myself than I did when I was doing it for myself, because I just want these people to succeed. And I want what, you know, we come up with together to be the best possible thing. And so I think that that, that part of it is a real interesting thing that I realized that I never, ever thought is that getting to the point where I go back to having a job and that I just panic about other people's stuff. And when I did it myself, I was like, eh, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. But with, you know, having clients, I'm like, Oh my God, this better work. Yeah. Yeah. The, their success becomes part of you. And so that's what's important for, for you to do. Well, Jamie, I hate to say this, but we're out of time. (laughs) I know. I feel like we could talk to you about things forever. Yeah, it's been really nice having you on the show. Well, yeah. I'll come back sometime and we can talk okay. about other stuff. All right. Thanks well, good. thanks for Just being invited guest, Amy. Back. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and if people want to order your books, where should they go to order them? Oh, their their local bookstore. It's available anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Perfect. I mean, you could go to Amazon too, but right now Amazon doesn't need your money. Every other small bookstore needs it. Yeah. That's true. That's perfect. Thank you. So everybody go buy, <laughs> go buy books online from your independent bookstores. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store. With 10 stores in Oregon, it's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, visit our website at www.marketedchoice.com. At Marketed Choice, we buy local so you can too. We record Masoni and Marshall live every Friday at 9 a.m. You can listen at startupradionetwork.com or you can listen to past episodes on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show or submit a press release for us to talk about, do startupradionetwork.com and submit those there. And we will be here next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye Bye, Jamie. Bye. Bye. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.